Welcome to the latest edition of Until Saturday. I'm Ari Wasserman with a special edition, joined by David Ubbin, Sam Con Jr., and Max Olson, who have been partying, right, partying in New Orleans uh, as they get ready for the Sugar Bowl. And I got to tell you, seeing you three sitting there right now, <laughs> it's, it's pretty tough on me. You know, I'm not, I'm not oh, having the best yeah. day. It's oh, not getting but better. To anyone who's watching the, the YouTube of this, we kind of look like a boy band picture a little bit. <laughs> the three of us yeah. bunched together on a couch. Ladies out three. Drop. Three Cajun dudes just down there eating the food, <laughs> going to a big game and, and having a blast. Um, but we're going to be here to give final thoughts before we have even more final thoughts uh, after the games. But for the college football playoff, obviously, Dave, uh, Sam and Max have been reporting and are going to be covering the Sugar Bowl between the Texas Longhorns because they're the Texas Longhorns and the Washington Huskies. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So I'm going to kind of ease back in the show a little bit. And I'm going to let the experts who are there reporting and writing um, talk the most. But guys, whoever wants to start this thing off here, uh, what do you think has been the biggest thing you've learned during your your few days there so far leading into the game? Everybody wants to talk to Arch. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. <laughs> I think the, the Arch mania is very funny. I think some of that was created via just the structure of college sports and the perfect storm of, I think a lot of people would want to talk to a five-star number one overall recruit regardless. And then you throw in at the playoff, his last name's Manning, all these things. Louisiana. Um, Louisiana. Yeah. There's a lot of local media. This is his hometown. It was a bit of a zoo, I will say. But if you look at the pictures too, I've been with right in front and center. So yep. he I kind of started it in a lot I've of been ways. I sent this a lot. I was sent a photo last night from somebody who pointed out that I was on the front page of Fox News. And <laughs> I think they read a photo with the AP uh, story on Arch. But yeah, I mean, I think it's it's sort of interesting that now he is like one play away from the field. Um, but ultimately. You know, these are two really good teams. I think it's going to be a, a really fun game. And I think, you know, I spent a little more time talking to Washington this week, and, and you can read my story on the athletics, sort of reverse engineering how they pulled off a rebuild to go from 4-8 and eight to 13-0 and 0 in two years. But big picture, there's a little bit, there's a disrespect factor with Washington on two fronts. One, you had Texas sort of shrugging off this idea that Washington was the best O-line in the country. And two, Washington's a little tired of being an underdog. I think they, they had to hear people talk for a month after they beat Oregon. Well, they're going to lose next time. Nine and a half point underdogs. And they they soundly beat Oregon in that ball game. They were clearly the better team. And now they're under, underdogs again, despite having not lost. Um, I You know, there's sort of this idea of like, well, how could it be? And Ari, not to, to put on my Ari hat, we're talking about the fifth the number five team in team talent composite and the number 26 team in ta- team talent composite. You shouldn't be floored that this is what the outcome is, but you know, there's certainly a, a level of edge to Washington this week from the people that I've talked to. Yeah. I think uh, housekeeping's here. Housekeeping. I think, I think there's definitely, I think there's a sense of confidence on both sides here that I've got. Yeah. You know, Washington is feels very confident. You, you heard Michael Penix uh, talk about, Hey, yeah, their D line is great, but they haven't faced our O line. And on the flip side, I think Texas has a healthy respect for Washington, but they've already beaten Alabama this year. And I think they feel like they've been tested throughout this season and that they have, you know, one of the best teams in the country. And so uh, I think it, I will say with the disrespect factor on the Washington side, as an example, this morning, both head coaches, Steve Sarkeesian and Kalen DeBoer, had their final press conference, uh, which is a tradition for the playoff games. They do it the day, the morning before the game. And I definitely noticed, and I don't know if it's a function of how many reporters are here from each side, but I definitely noticed Sark got about 65 70% of the questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was interesting to me, and I – I always like to pay attention to what the other head coach, how he reacts to that. And, and Kalen DeBoer was pretty, you know, didn't seem phased by it by any stretch of the imagination. But to me, the biggest the biggest thing I'm looking forward to in this game is really the first quarter and a half. Is you're gonna you get two play callers who are really good on the opening script, and so that first quarter and a half I think is going to be some fireworks. Yeah. And so that's what I'm looking forward to the most tomorrow night is when that ball snapped, buddy. 
they've had a month to plan for this. <laughs> it is going to be some fun ball to watch. Yeah, I, I feel like we're also at a point, and especially we, we saw the the way that the, uh, the the state of Florida State dominated the conversation uh, yesterday. I, these are two like it feels like these are very full strength teams at yeah. this point in time. Like I don't see. I, no one even really talked about Malik Murphy this week. I, there wasn't really a, a whole lot of concern about that. That's obviously kind of the high-profile opt-out. But uh, when you've got Jalen McMillan talking to him, sounds like he's ready to go. Um, you've got Texas has had some guys that have had a chance to to, to get healthy, including Xavier Worthy. Yeah, they're going to miss Derek Williams in the first half, the the safety, um, the freshman safety from from uh, an ejection in the Big 12 title game. But honestly, I I think we're setting up for these two teams, like probably looking as good as as they have all year. So that I I'm with Sam. Like, I think it's, I think it's going to be a pretty electric game. I think it's just from what we've seen around here, guys, I don't know what you think. I think it's going to be a pretty orange crowd. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, some of that is just geography. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're in Texas, uh, Sam, you'd probably know more than what was it? looks like six hour drive from Houston. Six. If you're coming from, from Austin, Austin, it's about yeah. eight or nine. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and if Seattle, I mean, that's a $800 flight minimum, probably. Uh, to get from Seattle to New Orleans, maybe not. Every maybe single person I know here that's a Texas fan is going to the game. Interesting. I get that. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, it's just so of, close. Yeah, I've seen a lot of orange. I have seen a lot of purple, um, mm-hmm. but I've seen a lot of both, and and we'll see. I, I don't know what to expect, but I I think probably slightly partisan orange. Crowd. You know what? I'm I'm most excited to hear, guys. Then I'm going to kick it back to you. Um, I think that, and I don't know if this is just wrong or from the outside looking in, but there seems to maybe be more general curiosity and discussion um, around the Michigan Alabama game because of just how intriguing I think Michigan is as a program, the stuff that we talked about all year. And then of course, whether or not Saban can do it again. But when you talk about games, like I don't think there's any question that the game that you guys are at is going to be a better game. And the thing that stands out to me the most about this matchup is the skill position players on both Mm -hmm. sides. Um, It is absolutely stunning how much top tier talent there is and when you talk about game script and two very good offensive lines and two quarterbacks you know that i think play pretty well in in big games at least quinn ewers has this year like i think it might be one of the more entertaining games of the year which is something that we haven't really gotten a lot in semifinal games yeah i mean i think we saw both of the oregon washington games were great and i think you're gonna get another one here of a team that you know, I don't think it's going to devolve into a track meet. I think these two defenses are, are better and have a little bit more pride that, you know, we're not going to get a, a 55-48 game. But like you said, there's so much skill position talent. And even though I think that, you know, Texas probably has a little bit of an advantage on the lines of scrimmage, uh, you know, I, there there's going to be points, but I don't think you're going to see. Because I think there's, a, there's like a breaking point in offensive games where – it gets a little stupid. <laughs> like, I, I think we can call it the Mahomes Mayfield, Texas Tech, Oklahoma <laughs> line, where it's just like, okay, but like, what are we doing here? I don't think this game can get I mean, that point. Michigan TCU kind of felt like that last year. Yeah, that, yeah. That went that off the rails crazy. in the third quarter mm-hmm. in a way that you didn't really usually see from the Yeah, Black although games. there were some defensive touchdowns in that game. There were. So, yeah. but I think it, it, there, I think we will stay in the realm of very fun, very well played. Because uh, these are two really, really good defenses, too. Uh, I think Washington is slightly underrated. <coughs> I really am. I mean, you know, not to, uh, you know, put my uh, football coach hat on, but like, I really do think this game will be decided at the line of scrimmage. And Washington rose to the occasion against Oregon and against Oregon again because Oregon had been more physical than them for most of the season. And I think our, we were all on the same page that we felt like, well, they're going to prove that in that game. But Washington looked like a different team in those two games. They were way more physical. They tackled really well on the edges. They just played out of their minds. And I'm curious if you see that again from this Washington team that on paper, yeah, I think Texas, they're not going to just bully them, but I think they, they, they should win that battle on paper. And if they do, they'll win the game. But I'm curious if you see Washington rise to the occasion like they did in both of those Oregon games. Yeah, I think when you look at – when I'm looking at it from a line of scrimmage standpoint – I'm most fascinated by the Texas defensive front against the Washington offensive line because mm-hmm. I think that's that's the the good on good matchup in this game. But if there's one thing I would keep an eye on, it's Texas in pass pro because Texas has been a really good run blocking line. They have shown at times that they can give up pressure, and if Washington can generate that pressure, then I think you could get make things really interesting. 
especially also I think that partially depends on uh, also because you, you need more time to get these guys to get Xavier Worthy downfield and also how how healthy is he at this point, mm-hmm. which I think remains to be seen after suffering the injury in the Big 12 title game. Uh, as far as like the general perception of this game, I kind of am with Ari just on the it feels like there's more attention paid to that Alabama-Michigan game. When we were at Media Day, I was really surprised by it didn't seem to be as many people no. uh, media-wise there as I expected and have seen in past media days at a semifinal. Uh, and, and I'm not sure if that's because most people are at Alabama, Michigan instead. Uh, so in that way, maybe this kind of feels like the inner card. But I agree with Ari. I think this game will be the better of the more compelling of the two on the field. Mm-hmm. I just hope it's like 24 to 21, like late in the second quarter. We got a back and forth. <laughs> we got Xavier Worthy high stepping and you know Washington getting its answers. Like that's, I mean, a, a lot of scoring in a close game, I think would be great for a, the last four team field. It is a fast track. We're mm-hmm. indoors, indoors, already. baby. Don't don't <laughs> fade deep. Uh, two two head coaches and two coaching staffs that are are bringing deep luxury bags to this game. Yeah, so <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna we're gonna be seeing some some wild stuff. I think. Yeah, guys, I was a, I did a poor job of hosting, and I I don't know that I mentioned that Kennington Smith, our Alabama beat writer who is out in uh, L.A. for the Rose Bowl, will be joining us later in the show to break that game down as well. So if you're here for that game, we're also going to talk about it, but. Well, I will say that when I was in Vegas, when I went to cover the Pac-12 championship game, I thought or had this notion that Washington would get pushed around. And you mentioned this earlier. And I remember leaving the stadium thinking, a month is a long time for your brain to forget, but don't forget how tough Washington played this game because Texas has great lines. They've got a lot of big-time athletes on there, but Washington physically is very underrated, I think. Um, and I think they'll be able to hold their own quite well. And if they can run the ball and protect their quarterback, I question whether or not uh, Texas will be able to keep up in a shootout. That said, Washington has also allowed 30 plays this year of 30 yards or more. So, um, you know, I'm trying to like let go of that USC game a little bit while also kind of reminding myself of like the last time they played, I was there, I saw it and they were awesome. Like, I think I'm legitimately going into a, this game thinking that either of them could win no surprising results. Well, and we don't, you're not really hearing people talk about the other O line, D line battle in this game. And mm-hmm. that could be a problem for Texas. I mean, it could. I, I think Texas, Cal Flood's done a terrific job of building up um, Texas's offensive line and, and, you know, taking some young players and getting them ready to play um, at a really high level this year. But I, I do think that Washington staff is going to be able to, you know, provide some pressure here. And if, if Texas is not getting, um, big rushing gains on first and second down. If we're putting Quinn Ewers in some third and long situations, um, I think that's that's a little bit scary for Texas because I think that as well as he played against Oklahoma State, um, we didn't really see you know that that game got away pretty quickly. Like we didn't see a lot of pressure downs uh, where he had to go do something on on third and long um, and with with you know with the, the the deficit on the line there. I mean that that game. They blew that one out. So I'm curious to see if Texas offensive line, which isn't really getting talked about as much this week, are they ready for the challenge on this one? Do you think that we need to have the Quinn Ewers talk? Like, where is he? What is he capable of? Is this a, a chance to superstardom coming back? All this stuff. Like, is there is there a bigger Quinn Ewers discussion that needs to be had? I don't think so, honestly. You know why? Because I think every time it's been a big game, he showed up. With the Alabama game, he showed up. Last year against Oklahoma, he showed up. Obviously, this year against Oklahoma, he had a couple picks early, but I think he he completed you know, it was thirty one of thirty seven that day. He is quietly. If you look at his play in the last really half of this season, you know, and even the last couple games before he got injured, he has become scary accurate. Like he, his his completion percentage numbers are running at a career high right now. He takes he takes pretty decent care of the ball, uh, certainly much more than he did as a freshman. Uh, and I think he I think as long as they protect him, it's fine. I think it's <clears throat> as what Max said is if 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 pressure becomes an issue, that thing that's when it can get sticky. And that that goes for any quarterback. I think that goes on the flip side to Penix. I think Texas is one shot uh, to slow this passing game now is they've got to get Penix off his spot. I think the same could be said for Quinn, and it's. I, I think there there is still sometimes some inconsistency for Quinn, uh, but th- also I do wonder is there is there to me the discussion is is he playing for right now 
whether he's going to go pro or not. Like if he comes in and has a great game on Monday night and then they win and he goes and has a great game in the title game, does he end up becoming a first round pick? Or if he doesn't, is he coming back? In, I think in everything you just said is true. I agree with you hundred percent, but don't you get the feeling that the general public doubts him or doesn't view him as a superstar or thinks he's not that good or overrated. And I don't know if part of that was because of his rating and what he did in high he's school. Definitely one of the best quarterbacks Ohio state has produced in the past few years. <laughs> <laughs> and let's get into the cotton bowl. Okay. <laughs> no, I, he think, is. I, I think it's, I think it's not that a lot of people don't think he's good. But he's definitely not viewed on the same level as like Caleb, Penix, Nick. Not, not even nobody close. views him that way. And you know, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I would say that that's probably fair based on the numbers. But I also watched the Alabama game. Uh, I think when he has been needed, I think it, it looked pretty easy in the Big Twelve Championship game for him. But there's something to be said for what he had like 400 yards the first half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State was hopeless in covering him and. You know, I don't know that you win the Heisman Trophy throwing to Jatavian Sanders uncovered 15 yards downfield <laughs> eight times. But, like, there's something to be said for that. And I say all the time, if you've got a quarterback in this sport that when you give him a clean pocket and you give him an open receiver, he hits him 90% of the time, you're way ahead of the game. And I think Quinn definitely does that. Like, that's that's a thing that not and, a lot of teams have. And that was the praise you heard from Sark after the Big 12 title game. It's like he just he threw to the open guy, mm-hmm. and when he had to go to this, that second read, he didn't panic. And I think I'm curious to see the skill matchup because we know, um, and, and you saw it really glaringly in these last two games Texas has played, Texas has got NFL caliber wideouts and tight end. Um, and I think that their guys are going to get open on Washington. I'd be surprised. I mean, if if Washington is just shutting these guys down um, and they're getting coverage sacks and stuff like that, that'd be extremely impressive. Um, but I think that Texas is going to be able to get guys open. Uh, they're going to be able to scheme it up. And these guys, I think, can win one-on-one. So it's going to be a question of can he get his timing right and uh, and play with good rhythm because you, you've seen um, that that's a huge thing. Sam, you've watched a lot of Texas games this year. I mean, when they've looked a little sloppy, when they've looked a little off, it kind of feels like the offensive rhythm is just not there. I wonder how much of it, too, is, and this speaks to Ari's larger question, is Quinn's success a byproduct of the scheme and then the now the uber talent around him with Worthy and A.D. Mitchell and J.T. Sanders and Jordan Whittington? Because last year, obviously, in, in his redshirt freshman season, it was a lot more up and down. They didn't have. You know, JT Sanders wasn't what JT Sanders is now. They didn't have AD Mitchell. Uh, they, they didn't, you know, Sark obviously was, you know, still the same play caller, but I think there's, a, it's a, to me, it's a little bit of both. To me, he has definitely benefited from the weapons around him in a big way and taken advantage of that. And, but at the same time, I think he's grown tremendously. And I, I, no, he's not, he's not to me, Caleb or Drake May right now, but I do think. He's a really good college quarterback, and I think he's on the way to being a great one if he continues on his current trajectory. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, well, Dave and I picked this game already. I'm going to put Max and Sam on the spot here. Uh, What's your gut telling you if you had to pick right now? I know it's close. I know it's going to be difficult, but is there a side that you found yourself liking through your reporting and just getting closer to the game. I think I'm taking Texas. I think it's a mid thirties, mid to high thirties game. Yeah. I'm thinking like 38, 34 ish. Uh, I do think it's a back and forth. uh, And then eventually I think the teams will settle in. And I, I can't, I just keep coming back to the fact that all season long, very few teams have run the ball in Texas and Washington doesn't need to run the ball a ton because it's not what they do, but you do have to have some presence. And I, and I just between Tavondre sweat and Byron Murphy, and even the guys that we don't mention as much, the Baron Sorrells, the Anthony Hill juniors, the Ethan Burks off the edge. I think that front is going to end up winning that battle. And I think that's going to end up being the difference. 
when we did the Max, Sam, Chris, and Nicole, we picked this game. Is that canon? Do I have to stick to what I picked? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is this is final thoughts. Yeah, I I kind of think Washington's gonna gonna pull this off, um, and I think that that you know it wasn't <laughs> first half of that game last year in the in in San Antonio wasn't that close. Washington was was a lot better. I think Texas has improved a lot. I think Washington's improved a lot. I kind of think if Texas loses this game, it's going to be self inflicted stuff. Um, and I think that that's that's why I think you circle yours as really the X factor of this one because um, he he's got to he's just got to play his best football, and it's easy to be encouraged by what you just saw from him. Um, but we've seen ups and downs too over the, over these two years. So I I kind of lean Washington kind of pulling this out by like three. Um, but if it if it goes completely in the other direction, and Texas you know wins by double digits. Um, that would make sense too. I, 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 I'm a little torn. Mm-hmm. Ari, I feel like hosting a show with you all year has poisoned my brain. Can I poison your brain briefly? Sure. Please, Please don't tell the, me you ate like electro, elect, electric eel. No, I did eat alligator okay. the other night. I think we, I, uh, Sam wasn't able to was make good. it, but we ate alligator and our football and grits fans will appreciate that myself and Brody Miller, we, uh, we, we ate grits and talked football. Shout out to the OGs. <laughs> But no, Ari, so I wrote the story on Washington this week and about how they kind of built this thing and rebuilt this. The team that Washington had that went four and eight was 17th in team talent composite. By the time that they took the first snap uh, on the Kalen DeBoer era, they were 20th in team talent composite. They are now 26th. That's a weird trend line. Yeah, for a program right. that has continued to rise, Ari's <laughs> brain just did something. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that it's it's clear like that Apple spinning whenever yeah. uh, like wait, transfer right. is it playing will. at the level yeah. that Michael Penix is playing. You know that also yeah. helps. Um, but yeah, He's no, it's one guy. There are a lot of uh, Apple wheel spinning talent <laughs> statistics that are happening in this <laughs> season. That are, are are getting to me, but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I don't, I don't is look at is, is Penix count as a three star in the composite. He does, uh, yeah. What if well, he was in high school? No, because they because they factor in the transfer rating. They don't change I that don't in the team talent that. composite. Are you sure? I don't think so. I think they do. I'm not sure. Either way, he's still one guy. If they do, then I'm throwing it out the window. Well, either way, I doubt that. I, when, yeah. <laughs> I just thought I might have to here, man, because I did sort of a deep dive into how they did this. And I assumed that the trend lines, I didn't think it'd be dramatic, but I thought the trend lines would be like, well, maybe like 12, 10. And no, it's like getting progressively <laughs> worse. And I'm like, that's weird because I've watched this team. This is a much better team than last year. But it, when you hit the reset button on Penix is gone. A lot of your offensive line is gone. This team does have and I, one thing I think is an X factor with Washington Nine six-year players. And I think Penix is the only one. Maybe there's another one that I'm forgetting. I think Penix is the only one that didn't spend all six of those at Washington. Wow. That's and I think Texas has one or two. Yeah, that's like that's not it, right? something, you know. I think even Kalen DeBoer this week was, was talking about like, you know, that that's definitely an outlier in the sport. Like you're not gonna see much of that. This is an old team, and they've been through a lot. You know, those guys came here with Chris Peterson, lived through the Jimmy Lake era, which was was not spoken highly of uh, very much, uh, you know. And now they've sort of seen this. They've been down to the bottom. They've built this thing back up. And I think that that's interesting. Um, you know, Texas has had a somewhat of a similar um, trajectory, but they're also Texas. And I think when you sign with Texas, you sign there thinking you're going to win a national championship there. That's sort of the idea. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case at Washington. I think at Washington, you're just like, well, you know, we think we can win the Pac-12, you know, maybe. But, like, the expectations are so much higher at Texas that rebuilding is almost like, well, this is where we should be mm-hmm. versus Washington, who's kind of living in rarefied air where, like, nobody thought. I mean, people thought they might sniff the playoff. They're a little overhyped, but 13-0, and especially in the brutal Pac-12. I mean, that's not something that I think anybody thought they were going to do at any point in the season. I think there's something to be said for that, especially in that conference. To that end, and you say that about the expectations, but Washington has been to a playoff before and Texas has not. <laughs> that's they so, were in the playoff briefly. In, in 2016. <laughs> about a quarter uh, they were in the playoff. But but 
Texas does have a little bit of that veteran presence too, because I think uh, of this roster, I went and counted up. I think 13 guys who played in the Alamo Bowl in 2020, which is Tom Herman's last game, 13 of those guys are still on the team now. And most of them are starters and, and major contributors. Jalen Ford, Christian Jones, Jordan Whittington's. Uh, so there's a little bit of that presence too. And I think that is that is also, I think, what's going to make this a good game is there's a lot of good old veteran presence uh, with two really good coaching staff. So I, th- I think, like I said, I think we're lucky. We, we lucked out on this one. I think this is going to be a really fun matchup and a, and a really high quality game. Appreciate you stopping by and sorry for throwing you through the ringer this morning on the timing. I hope you can <laughs> forgive me. I know I'm in a hole and I've got to earn some respect back, but uh, it means a lot. Um, you can so buy me dinner in Houston, baby. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. Uh, maybe we'll go to Fogo to Chow. <laughs> Houston's finest. Uh, no, you gotta yeah. get this guy to take you to Spanish Flowers, man. And taste it. Yeah, yeah. You'll have to. You'll have to show us the ropes when we get down there next week. <laughs> yes, we will. Yes, we will. All right. That was Max Olson, Sam Khan. They're more than welcome up, to guys? stay. We're gonna move on over now to the Rose Bowl. I wore the hat for you, Kenny, because <laughs> you're actually in one of the best food cities in America. Uh, Los show Angeles, that. Pasadena, and you're covering the Alabama Michigan game, and we're just going to have you on to have some final thoughts about that game um, as you're there right now covering Alabama for us at the athletic. Um, what are some of your thoughts on what you've seen there? My first initial thought is I so much appreciate that this Alabama team is unlike the other ones and that they will speak their minds no matter what. Like usually Saban's teams are really buttoned up and they have, you know, the, the coach speaking, they say all the right things. And then I get here on the first day and Isaiah Bond is like, yeah, we uh we took everything off of the cloud because we know what Michigan is known for. And Jalen Milrow said, uh, Bill O'Brien, my old offensive coordinator, yeah, he said I shouldn't play quarterback. And <laughs> I just kind of set a whole uh, content in motion. So that's my first thought. I really appreciate that the players, you know, speak their minds in and tell it how it is. And I think in terms of my overall thoughts on this game, I think a lot of it has centered on the physicality aspect of it. A lot of questions about Michigan's run game and the fact that they – impose their will on teams. I think one of the the statement games this year was Penn State, and the statement moment was the 30-plus times they ran the ball in a row. And a lot of Alabama players have had to answer for that in terms of how do they plan on stopping Michigan. And on the Michigan side, the comments about Jim Harbaugh saying that, you know, their backup quarterback, Alex Orgy, kind of being a, a less polished version of Milrow and assimilating him in practice and Michigan having to answer questions about, um, you know, how they're going to stop Jalen Milrow. So, um, it'll be a really interesting game. I think I think those are kind of the two biggest takeaways that I have in game. But um, a lot of the external things like the the sign stealing and the iPad gate and all that have kind of, in a way, taken precedent over talking about the the game itself. Dave, when you go to a, a bowl game and you're covering it, mm-hmm. that you always kind of feel like, oh man, these interviews stink. They're behind the podium. We're not going to get anything good. You can't talk to people. The only time you can do is to get at the media day. And Kenny's out here getting. <laughs> Get an iPad <laughs> gate out of the out of the out of the blocks there. So um, I'll I will say, Ari, as, day, as, as predicted, funny. as predicted on the show earlier this week, the whole thing was nonsense. Yeah, it is nonsense. I said it would be stupid. I said it was stupid, and I was like, and I don't even know what advantage you would really even get because I I think the idea right was that they were hacking practice film and getting signs right. off of that. I believe. Yeah. Yeah, but that they like, were. So then what's the point of banning players from I mean, watching you, on our iPad? You, we don't have to go all down this road, but like well, if you sure, have practice, but. you see personnel packages. Like, I mean, it's not just the well, signs. Like, like, there's a that lot to learn. Like, what does that do with the players watching film? Is I the idea that they're going to take it to the a Michigan player? Like, I don't know. I think it's the distribution of sending it out to so many other channels and iPads. I don't know if it's a less of a security risk if only one person gets it and then they can share it, you know, with everybody off of one device, or if there's a larger risk of yeah. 85 players getting the same, you know, practice information off of individual iPads and they can take it other places and log into their computers. That would be my personal guess. But, um, you know, I kind of agree with you. It is, you know, a bit of a nothing burger. I think just the fact of who Alabama is playing and everything that is surrounding what Michigan's program has kind of elevated it. And then, you know, conversely, Alabama players have called it an advantage in some ways. Like JC Latham said, it kind of makes us pay attention more because if I don't get it in this session with our offensive line at this time, I won't be able to go in and watch it later. So uh, it's it was something that, you know, kind of big in the moment, then kind of catapult had to come out and make a statement. So, you know, you're kind of getting these like tentacles off of this initial story that keeps, you know, raising the profile of it, I guess. But I don't really think it's going to have too much of an impact on the game. So, Kenny, I think the story of Alabama's season is the growth of its offense. And earlier this week, you wrote 
about Tommy Reese and sort of his personal growth and what that meant on the field. When you look at this offense, how would you sort of describe where they're at right now and how that growth happened and give people a look into, into that story? Yeah, I think the ironic part about what happened with Jalen Milrow and the Bill O'Brien news was in the backdrop, you have Tommy Reese who found success this year by building an offense around Jalen Milrow. And I think mm -hmm. if you watch Alabama at the beginning of the year, they tried to be a drop back passing team, kind of similar to what they had under Bryce Young. And after the South Florida game, they kind of, you know, had to come to Jesus moment and they said, you know, Jalen Milrow is the best option that we have. He's a different caliber of athlete that we've had at quarterback. We need to start building packages and building plays around him. And once they started to do that, and once they started to implement things that got him comfortable, I'm thinking about implementing more RPOs, you know, more quick pass game, more just, you know, one read, getting it out to receiver, letting him make plays in space, um, you know, flood concepts where they put everything on one side of the field. So he doesn't have to, to look to, you know, his left or right to, to make a read to deliver a pass. And then building things off of that, I think has been the, the thing that's kind of elevated Alabama's offense. And then you think about using players in, in different situations, somebody like Kendrick Law, who's not a marquee player on Alabama's offense from, you know, a name standpoint, you think about the Jalen Milrow, Jermaine Burton, Isaiah Bond, but he's somebody who's been able to find a role at receiver. Sometimes he masquerades as a tight end. Sometimes he lines up in the backfield. Um, so just having, you know, different guys in different formations and being a little bit more creative, I think has kind of elevated this offensive profile. And I think the other part of it is, the growth of the offensive line. This was a unit that at the beginning of the season, many thought was going to be the unit that powered Alabama to a national championship. And that was a huge weakness at the beginning of the year. And you look at the last you know, six weeks or so, they've only allowed you know a handful of sacks on the year. So I think just having an offensive line that's been able to um, protect, been able to get some traction on the ground has been uh, you know, a huge part of the offense as well. So I think uh, it's, a, it's a mix of everything. And it's kind of, I guess, cliche, when you talk about, you know, week over week progression and day by day and the kind of 1% that coaches and players talk about in these press conferences. But having covered the team week to week, that's truly how the offense kind of came together. It's just, you know, everybody kind of figuring out what works best this year. It's not what's worked in, in past years and just kind of getting to this point where they are now. And to your other question about where Alabama's offense is at right now, it kind of feels like they're humming a bit. I think you look at that at Georgia game and the way that they were able to establish things on the ground. Uh, you know, in the first half, it controlled the pace of the game. And then Milro being able to be decisive with the ball and to move around in the pocket and to make plays and extend plays has been a, a big part of Alabama's offense as well. So it kind of feels like they're peaking at the right time, which, again, is another cliche. But uh, that is where Alabama's offense is right now. And it's going to make for a really exciting matchup against Michigan's defense. All right. I want to play a game with you, Kenny. I want you to help me out here. We're going to get out, right. of, the, out of the game notes. We're going to get out of it. We're going to go to the desert. Las Vegas. I think like 85% of the action is on Alabama. Or I mean, sorry, is on Alabama to win. And the line has moved from Michigan minus one and a half to now Michigan minus two. It's moving in the other direction based on where the action is going. Dave and I tried to break down a situation where Alabama somehow wins this football game. I can't do it. You cover Alabama. You've been there. You know, the matchups. If Alabama loses, why will that? How and why will that happen? What will that look like? I think it's going to be, uh, you know, turnover differential. I think the this game kind of comes down to, um, you know, the quarterback play. Who is going to be able to um, exploit the defense the most? And if you look at Alabama's defense, they have elite numbers and they have elite players, but mobile quarterbacks have given them fits throughout the season, and that's even as lowest competition as South Florida all the way up into the Auburn game. Mobile quarterbacks have given them fits. And I think on the other side, when you look at Michigan, the narrative is, well, they haven't seen an athlete as explosive as Jalen Milrow. How are they going to be able to contain them? So I think um, it looks like it's the quarterback play that's going to determine this game. And if you're an Alabama fan and you look at Jalen Milrow, his turnovers and his turnover-worthy play percentage has gone down significantly throughout the year. But it is well within the wheelhouse of this game that, it could revert back to a Texas game and Jalen Miller could have a couple of costly turnovers that flips the the momentum of this game. So to me, uh, a pathway for, for Michigan to win would be to turn the turnover Jalen Miller a couple of times, knock him off of the spot, um, not allow him to, to get confident and then be able to capitalize off of those with, with touchdowns. Um, you know, if they get it in plus territory. So that's, that's where it kind of comes down to for me. Uh, Michigan's defense is extremely formidable, as we all know. I mean, they're leading the country in pretty much every statistical category that you can imagine. So 
Um, they also haven't t- faced the top 30 offense this year. Yeah, that so is, I'm that very is, that, curious. Yeah, that is true as well. That is true as well. So, uh, and I mean, Alabama, they again, their offense is something, but they don't have the, you know, there isn't a, a Jamison Williams on this offense. There isn't a, um, mm-hmm. you know, a Mechie on this offense. You know, you think about all the great receivers that they've had. So who's going to be able to win on the perimeter? Are, Jaylen, are Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond going to be able to win against Will Johnson and, and Sarah Still and those guys? Uh, are Roman Wilson and their receivers, are they going to be able to win against Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry and Arnold on the outside? So it's very within the possibility that, you know, it's a close game and a couple of turnovers here and there could decide that fade and if Alabama reverts back to their early season ways, then they're probably not going to win. Dave, yeah. I've been thinking about this. I got to tell you this and then I'll Go let ahead. you go. Okay. I've been thinking for no particular reason, what <laughs> am I missing here? Like in my lifetime, there have been spreads that I have seen to think are obvious mm-hmm. and everybody else thinks is obvious. I think 90% of people think that Michigan's going to lose. It's minus two or plus two. It's not just bet on it. Alabama wins by 30 and it's over. Like that's not the way gambling works. It's hard. So I've been trying to think what does Vegas see that we're not seeing? And I came up with two things. One is the skill position talent stars matter. Certainly in Alabama, has more talented on paper than any other team in the history of tracking it. That said, they don't have an outstanding skill position player, although I think Isaiah Bond has really done a good job of developing into that guy. As this, this, They don't have uh, any, They don't have Jalen Waddle walking through the door. Like yeah. They don't have Devontae Smith. So that, with the, the experience of Michigan's secondary, I think could be a interesting dynamic of like all the pressure is on Jalen Milrow. And are we 100% certain that we trust Jalen Milrow? He's been great, but like, could he turn into a pumpkin? Yeah. Well, I I think when I look at it, I think there is this idea around Alabama because they beat Georgia that it's like, well, Alabama's the great and no. And I think people forgot how how many warts were on this team and a week before they played Bama, they needed a miracle to beat Auburn. And I think that the road to a Michigan win is Alabama. The pressure rate numbers are not good on protecting Jalen Milrow and Michigan could light him up. And if you do that consistently, you're going to up the odds of producing a turnover. Like Alabama still has all the flaws that we, that we described in preseason. It's going to help them to get Jace McClellan back. Isaiah Bond has grown up a lot. Jermaine Burton shows up and just like will play like Superman for like 10 minute like windows. <laughs> that changed the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Alabama is still flawed. And I think if, if Michigan drags them down into the mud and it's 17, 13 going into, you know, 10 minutes in the fourth quarter, I'm not going to be that surprised because this Alabama offense has had so many flaws all year. And that's, that's the route. I think it's just pressuring yeah. Milrow while also maintaining contain, which I think will I think be because game. Alabama beat Georgia. People think this Alabama team is the 2020 team. Yeah. I think there's something to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think George people forget like besides the officiating stuff, like Georgia, the offensive play calling was outrageously bad. I think that they thought that they could tuck it in and just coast and wait for Alabama to beat themselves. They were not aggressive after that first drive and it didn't work. And I think that they just didn't want to make mistakes to lose that game. Georgia's still a lot better team than Alabama. I still think that. Um, but you got to prove it. You got to win that game on the field. They don't have the flaws that Alabama has. Now, I think Alabama obviously has a really high ceiling. They were one of probably, what, three or four teams in the country that could beat Georgia, and they did it. It didn't take a Herculean effort. But Georgia helped them a little bit in that game by being so conservative. So there's a road here. I I. I trust my eyes. I've been skeptical of Michigan and Ohio state and Penn state all year long. I trust my eyes. I think Alabama wins this game, but because of all those flaws, and I think it starts with protecting Jalen Milrow. I will not be surprised if Michigan makes Vegas a lot of money in this game. Kenny, what do you think? Yeah, I think that point is well taken. I think when you look at Alabama's offensive line, I think um, it's important to note that a lot of those figures about their pressure rate have to do with the fact that they were so bad in the first seven, eight weeks of the season. They have drastically improved. I do think that, especially if you look at that left side with true freshman Kano Proctor, if Michigan is able to put a speed rusher on that side and they're able to create some favorable matchups, 
that is something that they can exploit. No question. I'm not saying that they're all of a sudden invincible, but it has it has been a line that has improved. I think if you're looking at it on the other side about pressure rate, another reason why I think that maybe people are a little bit off on Michigan is because of the performance that they had against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. And that's not the whole picture by any means, but if you watch the first half of that game, Iowa was able to consistently get pressure on J.J. McCarthy with their front four and dropping the rest back into coverage. And if you look at Alabama, they have two first-round level talents at the edge in Chris Braswell and Dallas Turner. They're able to um, eat J.J. McCarthy up a little bit and force him into some mistakes, and that could put the game into Alabama's side as well. Um, personally, I do like Alabama in this game. You know, Back to what I was saying about winning on the outside, I just trust Burton and Bond to win on the outside more than I do, um, you know, Roman Wilson and that crew against Terry and Arnold and Kool-Aid McKinstry, who are also first round corners in their own right. So I think, um, you know, the edge at, at skill position favors Alabama. I do think that Jalen Monroe is going to be able to um, extend and make some plays. I don't think that it's going to be, uh, you know, a blowout by, by any means, but I do think it's going to be kind of one of those games where it feels close, but you never really think that Alabama is in any danger to lose the game unless they make, uh, you know, a catastrophic mistake that kind of puts the momentum to that side. So um, I like Alabama in this game, but I do think it's going to be uh, pretty tightly contested. And, and Nick David with a month to prepare. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. Yeah, you also think about the, the coaching and you think about, you know, who's going to be able to adjust on the fly and I think that Alabama has a significant advantage in that aspect. We got a chance to talk to yep. the defensive coordinator, Kevin Steele, and he said, when you go up against Nick Saban and you have a fastball, uh, you know, he has something for that. If you have a, a changeup, he has something for that. A slider, he has something for that. I think when you look at, um, you know, how Alabama's been able to prepare in these playoff games and their record and what they've been able to do, it definitely favors them. Michigan, um, you know, obviously you look at their track record in the last few years, and they've kind of lost in different ways, I guess, in, in 2021 and 2022. But in this type of games where you have these long preparations and then you get into the game and it's in these tight situations, it kind of comes down to whose coaching staff do you favor the most? And obviously that would shift heavily towards Alabama with Nick Saban. Alabama hasn't had multiple assistants uh, fired this season. So <laughs> that helps. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kenny. Good luck tomorrow. I know it's a big game. Yeah. You're going to kill sure. it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm having a lot of fun out here. I just want to say, um, you know, I'm very thankful for the athletic bringing me on to the Alabama beat. You see this very <laughs> nice quarters. You see this nice quarters that I have on. This beats the coin that I got at the Music City Bowl last year. So <laughs> I'm having a great time um, at the playoff, and I'm definitely looking forward to the game tomorrow. I heard the Rose Bowl is a dope venue. So definitely. Yeah, don't get him started on the Rose Bowl. You just go before you hear what he has to say. <laughs> and we'll have you back on, and you can tell us how it is. When I hope it. it's okay. cloudy, and I'm going to laugh so hard if it's cloudy tomorrow. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm out here. I'm out here in LA. Don't, don't wish that on me. Like you should. It's my first time. I'm like, looking out. It's, it's not going to be cloudy right. because it's LA. My hotel is floor to ceiling windows. Right. And let me tell you what. In about two hours, two and a half hours, there's going to be this thing where the sun's going to go over the horizon. And it's bye, Kenny. Have a good day. <laughs> enjoy yourself. Have some good LA food. Go see the ocean and and, and enjoy the mountains. You're going to love it. Yeah, for sure. Appreciate you having me. Happy New Year. Yeah, you too. Um, Dave, what is your Florida ceiling view of the next door hotel? No, I've got a, a nice view of the Mississippi River. We're at that little interchange in the, oh. in the south part of New Orleans. It's pretty nice, man. Uh, the, the media block of rooms is really high. It's like the 40th floor and higher. So, yeah, I've got a nice view of the river. And uh, uh, it's, it's nice. The Texas Hotel is right across the street. So I've been um, just hanging around the lobby waiting to tattle on players who break curfew. or, or... Now, I, I will say this. Uh, their, the media party last night was on Bourbon Street, and at this game two years ago, uh, the losing team of the of the of the uh, of the Sugar Bowl, there were a lot of their players on Bourbon Street relatively late. I have not seen any players. I haven't been, you know, I don't really frequent it. Can you imagine but how exhausting it must be to play in a football game and then to still have the energy to go out and get drunk on Bourbon Street? Like, <laughs> just like thinking about like that as a 36 year old man now is just. I think it's different. Just, I think it's different when it's a playoff game. I think these guys are so locked in. Like, one of the reporters asked, I can't even remember which team it was. Like, is it tempting to go out on Bourbon Street? I was just like, when you have everything in front of you, I think it's different versus like playing in the Sugar Bowl when it's not a semifinal and it's like these games matter, but like they don't matter as much as they used to, which is a good segue to talk about the new year's six games so far. Ari. I've got the hottest take ever and people are going to get mad. I'm going to say it and we're I not even going to talk about it. All right. 
We're I think talk about it. I think Bourbon Street sucks, and I do not like New Orleans. Okay, so let's get into the last segment. Yeah, we won't discuss it. That's fine. Um, that's, not as, that's not as hot of a take as you think. But. I think a lot of people love, love, love New Orleans. If my like my friends get really angry at me, when I like New Orleans. Here. Bourbon Street, I can sort of take or leave. You know, the Orange Bowl was the talk of Twitter yesterday. <laughs> I don't know where you were doing or if you were able to watch it. I watched it. Yeah, Nobody from Florida State played. Georgia mm-hmm. won by sixty points, uh, yeah. sixty-three to three. Um, and there seemed to be this discussion. I was a part of it about whether or not Florida State's players should have opted out and um, all the things that come along with being left out of the playoff and ops out. It was just like the epitome of what everybody thinks is wrong with college football. And mm-hmm. Kirby Smart, after the game, had a clip on that that we have I want to play. All right. Everybody say we had our guys and they didn't have their guys. I can listen to all that. But college football has got to decide what they want. And I know things are changing. And I think things are going to change next year. You know what? There's going to still be bowl games outside of those. People got to decide what they want and what they really want to get out of it. Because it's really unfortunate for those kids on that sideline that had to play in that game that didn't have their full arsenal. And it affected the game 100%. So the, the fix is easy, Ari. Well, is it? Well, easy. Don't say no. play the games at the beginning of the year. What'd you say? Is that your fix to play the bowl games first? No, I like no. That's not. I like that idea, but no. All right, make employment agreements and have language in the employment agreements with the university. Like if they're employees, yeah, then there's no such thing as an opt out. That's breaking contract, and then there's going to be specific penalties for that. Like that's just what it is. I don't think you're going to be able to incentivize a lot of these. Like there's a lot of talk about well, the bowls could do like an NIL thing and give players money to play in the game, and like okay, but like. You're never, especially for you have a team that's got 17 guys opting out. It, it's not going to be that much of a financial incentive if they're trying to prepare for the NFL. The whole thing is you're, you're, you are running the risk of undercutting the history or your, the, the future in the league where the real money is. And like the NIL stuff is great, but if you're not a superstar and the players have figured this out pretty quickly, it's not life changing money. It's great. You can help your family out. You can have them live a little bit more comfortably than they are. But the number of guys who have made life-changing money in college football with the collective era and NIL, is it zero? Is it zero? No, there have been people who have made millions. That's life-changing money. Well, but if you're you're aiming for the NFL, I I would venture to say that I'm not even sure $5 million is necessarily life-changing money. I mean, probably. But no, no, is, no, it's not. It's not when you not compare common. it to the NFL. It is when you compare it to the common. Person. Yes. Yeah. Though, if you're playing in the NFL, you're doing great. You know, like you're doing fine. And, you know, there's a there is a among the among the casual set, people who don't pay attention. There's this idea that like, oh, well, all the college football players are millionaires now. Like, well, how many players do you think are millionaires because of it? If you had to guess. Well, I, I've done I did some reporting on this as I understand it about. Uh, from Jason Belzer at Athletes uh, Org, I think the number was about twenty guys. That's what made, I would have guessed. I would have guessed like seven 15. figures in the last year, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's sports. In I think that's just football. I think that's just football. I think it was twenty to twenty five, which is about right. Um, but even like a million dollars is not life changing money. If you're talking about setting your, if you're twenty years old and somebody gives you a million dollars, you still got to work. You still got to, and if you want to work, what do you want to do? If you're playing college football, you want to play in the NFL. So like. You know, you're not going to give them a million dollars to play in the bowl games, but like $30,000, like you can go get that from an agent and say, hey, you know, I'm going to pay for all your training and do all this stuff and give you an advance and then I'll pay you money to opt out. And that's the thing that happens, too. So the fix is make them employees. This is the fix to like a hundred of the different. Does it seem, does it seem inevitable now that we're headed there? Something like that. Yes. I mean, not to go down the Charlie Baker governance. um, route too far but like something resembling employment agreements maybe that's you know the 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 trust or whatever we want to want to talk about it but ultimately there will be something where the schools are paying kids directly very very soon and every administrator knows it everyone knows it they're planning for it they're expecting it um but they can't say that publicly because you're going to get you're going to get sued into oblivion mm-hmm. and you're going to lose because you have the Alston decision that is such a uh, powerful precedent. So I think all literally 
all of the problems that are facing college football, the transfer portal, um, the calendar, uh, the bowl opt-outs, a lot of this stuff. If players are employees, it fixes a lot of it. Yeah. Shadyville here said the argument won't matter next year because most of the top talent will be in the playoff. And I think that's wrong. Well, I, 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 go, back, I go back and forth on this. You know, yeah. I, I think that there will be, there will be a day and it won't be the top, you know, the teams that are getting buys or probably hosting games where, you know, you opt, you're going to see guys up out. But like, if, if, this flawed USC team like tripped and stumbled their way into the 12th seed where they're going to go on the road and play like Liberty or something or go on the road and have to play. I don't know. That's a bad example, but like go to Penn state or something, right? It's within the realm of possibility that Caleb Williams would be like, we're not going to win the title and I'm the number one pick. I'm not playing. I think it will be rare. I'm not saying it's going to be impossible because I think it will get Oh, you think star players opting out of playoff games. I don't think we're going to see that very often. I truly don't. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not saying it will There's never happen. But no way that, that that could happen, I don't think, like if you're a quarterback. Well, but if you're like a offensive lineman, we're about getting around, getting getting rolled up on in a 12-8 game, and you're going on the road, where it's like you could, you're competing, but like the idea that you could win the national championship. Like if uh, – I don't know. Like this, is a team that's you know, there's you mean like eighty percent of the teams that make it moving forward. You're not going to be cute about it. Most teams aren't going to win a national championship. Well, I just mean like no, I just mean like a team that's like outside the top ten, but like very flawed. Yeah, not a lot like of like when Penn guys. State makes it next year. Yeah, maybe you lost your last two games or something, and like the trend lines are not good. I think I know. I still think that people are going to play. I actually don't really think that the opt outs are the biggest problem. I think What's the, the problem. Like, my thing is the transfer portal. And well, the window that that's in. What do you, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm saying like yeah. next year, like the Shadyville thing, the argument won't matter next year because most of the top talent will be in the playoff. There's going to be a lot of top talent that are tr- changing teams in the portal that don't play too. It's not just because they're going to the NFL. Like Malik Murphy's situation, I think is far more egregious, not because he did it or because of him, but the danger to that, like not being able to compete in the playoff, I think is more damning than what Florida State did. Maybe I, I think if you're a top talent and you're thinking about going to the portal and you're in the playoff, you might like self tamper where like you're not in the portal because you don't want to jeopardize being able to play. But like your agent or your high school coach is like doing some work for you and saying, hey, you know, there's a spot here. There's a spot here. So then when your season's done, whenever that is, because the calendar won't really because you're still gonna be playing games like December 20th, December 27th. So if you lose. You still have two weeks to figure out where you're going. So I think you might have, you know, maybe we'll call it quiet portaling or like, you know, self tampering where like you probably know you're going to go in the portal, but you're not in the portal and you have people working on your behalf to sort of figure out what your next step is before you actually are going in the portal. Yeah. I mean, I guess like just protecting the integrity of the Pop-Tart Bowl isn't necessarily at the top of my list. It's at the top of my list. The Pop-Tart Bowl. uh, Yeah. One of the great highlights of my last year. So. I know a lot of people really got into it, but like, does anybody know who played in the game? Like everybody was so concerned with the mascot. They didn't, they didn't, they, it's I, like, did read, I don't know. I will say I did read a, a Buzzfeed, uh, summation of the game that called them the Kansas city wildcats, which I did think was very funny. <laughs> do we want to touch on the cotton ball or do you want to go out into the wild? I mean, if you want to bury Ohio state, uh, you know, I, I, I think, Missouri should be proud of what they did. Um, and I wanted to give you the floor season. because you went to Mizzou. <laughs> well, I mean, Missouri, this is a great season for them. Um, 11 wins for the first time in a decade. Um, I think, I mean, I guess it's a matter of perspective and how you want to stack up these seasons compared to the two Gary Pinkle seasons when they won the East. Because the East was really down, but I think it did help people because there was this idea of like, Oh, you know, not to the level of Rutgers, but like, oh, Missouri is only in the SEC because like their TV networks or the TV markets and all this stuff. And I think it quieted some of that when you win the East twice, even if the East is down and Florida's not great, Tennessee's not great, Georgia's still kind of, you know, floundering around. But I, I, you know, they competed with Georgia this year. I just think to win 11 games and do it in the situation that the program is in right now, 
combined with the recruiting heater that Eli Drinkwitz is on um, is, is pretty strong. So, you know, Missouri, I don't think they're going to be throwing a parade, but they're really proud and it's a really tangible step for the program. Mizzou got to celebrate for sure. Yeah. Um, And they deserve to celebrate and it was cool to see them do so. I went there with the plan of writing about Mizzou and then Devin Brown got hurt and was like, okay, you cannot write enough about this actual story on the other side, which is Ohio state doesn't have a quarterback going into the off season. They are late in the portal. They didn't take people in the portal um, at that position yet. I don't know what's going to be available. There's a few names still out there, but we have no evaluation whatsoever of Devin Brown. I don't know how Ryan day evaluates the quarterback position moving forward. Cause he's supposed to get four quarters of football from Devin Brown on tape against a pretty good, really good sec team. And that doesn't exist anymore. And they had a true freshman from North Dakota playing and they could barely compete a forward pass for three quarters. So I don't know what's happening, but it is funny that nine years ago I was in that stadium covering a team that won the national title with its third string quarterback and yeah. nine years later, same building, and we're afraid to throw with their third-string quarterback. Ohio State feels, feels a long way from winning a national title. There seems to be an underlying current of negativity there. I don't think that anybody cares if they lost the game. I think they're more so concerned with Ryan Day, the coaching um, of the quarterback position, Yeah, given the quarterback coach is Urban Meyer's nephew, and the fact that they have a five-star freshman coming in who may not be ready to play right away next year. And then if he's not, who's the answer to that? Then I've seen some Will Howard discussions and maybe they'll go get him. I don't know. He's better than anything they got, but he, I don't know. It's not what you have come to expect from Ohio state at that That's position. The thing is from a macro perspective, we don't have to relitigate Ohio state. I think the program is in better shape than people think it is. But when you're struggling at the quarterback spot and Kyle McCord is not the guy that people thought he might be, that the star ranking um, indicated that he was going to be. And then behind him, you don't really have any impressive answers. There's going to be an existential crisis. Right. Especially when you've kind of made your bones doing a lot of that. And now the thing that makes you, it's like, it's kind of similar to Sam Pittman at Arkansas on a different level. When your specialty is offensive line and the offensive line falls apart, it intensifies the criticism and run Ryan day has been developing quarterbacks. And all of a sudden the weakness on the team, they're already mad at him. They're already mad at him. Yeah. And the thing that you're supposed to do best is a weakness now. Yeah. That's that's a weird place to be as a head coach. So, you know, now they're going into next year and we'll see how Michigan is next year, but things are getting uncomfortable there. So we'll see how it goes. I don't know what they're going to do at the quarterback position. We'll have to track that, but, Mm-hmm. The Cotton Bowl game was not just a loss. It was a reminder of like, holy crap, there's a problem here. Uh, yeah, a really bad. I mean, three points. I don't. I mean, listen, buddy, I, 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 I'm not even saying that the three points. I, I don't even judge that. Like, it's like they're they're playing you with probably the should judge that <laughs> a true freshman quarterback that's had zero reps at Ohio. Like, what did you think he was going to come in and and light the world on fire? They, I they thought he'd come in and score points. You're Ohio yeah, State. They, they started every drive in the second quarter, like inside their own 10-yard line with a guy who's never played, really. You still um, got a Egbuki. You still got Travion Henderson. Three points is absurd. They couldn't run it. They have an offensive line problem, too. There's a lot happening yeah. there. It's not just the yeah. quarterback. But it's not a team that was like, oh, no, they lost to Michigan. This is one of the teams that should be play- playing in the playoff like you might have felt about Georgia. Mm-hmm. This is a team that has issues and was rightfully left out. So um, we'll see how it goes. But. Um, I'm super excited for New Year's Day, super excited for the playoffs, very jealous that I'm not there with you in New Orleans. Um, have a great time. I think we're going live after the second game. Yeah, I believe, that, I believe we are. Because uh, your game is first, right? No, the Rose Bowl, because of the sunset, Ari. Oh, first. yeah, that's right. I was getting, <laughs> yeah, 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 the, the sunset. Okay, so I'll so be up really late waiting for way, We're going, yeah, I don't know what time. We haven't really ironed it out. Uh, it's a little sticky, but we'll we'll figure it out, so. I'm excited. Yeah. We're going to have a lot okay. to talk about. Yes, yes. That's the thing with the semifinal round is those games are talkers, but then there has, you know, you sort of look forward and be like, okay, well, well there's just a lot to get to. I'm excited about that reaction show. Yeah. And thanks to you guys. We'll be more specific with time on Monday as we get closer to it. Um, we want to thank you for listening. Um, I didn't do the 
what I needed to do at the beginning. So make sure to follow the podcast on Apple or if you listen to your podcast, drop us a five-star review and leave us a question with your review. We'll be sure to answer it on the show. Also subscribe to the Until Saturday channel on YouTube if you're not watching live now. Uh, we have shorter clips. We have live reactions to things. Um, emergency podcasts go on the YouTube channel. Wherever you're listening to it, you can find the link to the other thing um, in the show's description. Leave a voicemail or text the Until Saturday phone line at 316-462-9852. Again, that is 316-462-9852. We will take your voicemails. We will listen to them. We will play them on the show. And we will react to them as if you're a co-host. You deserve that. We appreciate your support. Dave, thank you so much for taking time out of your wonderful New Year's Eve. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody who's listening. Enjoy the games on Monday, and we will catch you guys Monday evening. Next year. And bring back the Next year. Next year.